And we're back. Welcome to this week's episode of Until Green Card Do Us Part, a weekly show where we address the issues that immigration-based marriages made a few feet short of heaven create for American citizens, their families, and their bank accounts. I'm your host, John Sampson, CEO of CSI Consulting. Our favorite guest, Emily, is back to tell us about how the 864 was used in her divorce. And welcome back, Emily. It's been about a week, and how's life treating you these days? Well, pretty good, especially because I got my divorce finalized, so I can sort of start to move on with my life. Well, that's good. Uh, for, the, <laughs> for those who are listening, Emily did send me her divorce judgment, and we've been going through it and over it. So let's talk about that for a bit, all right? Let's, let's, ta- let's start with... Do this in sequential order of the divorce. Okay. Sure. All right. So the annulment was dismissed, and this is by mutual agreement, correct? That's correct. Okay. There, there are terms in here that somebody would read and go, this sounds crazy, but in terms of what I was facing, I was willing to agree to divorce and these terms rather than take a risk on annulment. Okay. So and he was motivated, I think by the fact that annulment meant deportation. Okay. So would he be willing to let go of some of his other uh, egregious requests in mm. order to keep his right to stay? Okay. So we've, we've got all this stuff in a divorce that's, you know, your property settlement, who gets what, uh, which for the immigration purposes doesn't really impact the immigration end of this, the where it starts to immig- where the immigration becomes of issue, starts with the fifth paragraph, um, mm-hmm. and with in that paragraph it says, "Husband's children are his own, and wife shall have no visitation rights with husband's children." Yeah. Now, now, are you? Therefore, you have no what would normally be considered in a divorce case a child support obligation pursuant to a divorce decree, correct? That's correct, and that's why I agreed to this. Although I love to have kids like my own, and they called me Mommy Emily. Mm -hmm. If I fought for any kind of partial custody, which would also be very unusual because I'm not a biological parent, right? There's my stepkids. So that would be highly unusual in and of itself. And then if we did, I would be required to pay child support because I make more, it'd be substantial. And this is separate from the affidavit of support completely. This one's based on the income differential. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that's crazy about that, well, you know, you actually sent me some case law where it was determined that child support could not go towards the affidavit of support obligation because it was intended to truly benefit the child. Now, I don't know then what the affidavit of support intended to <laughs> benefit because it's also for the family of three. But I agree. I could, you know, have, I already have this financial obligation with the I-864. I could also pay child support, but then I would be able to see them. The price was just too great because we were looking at, you know, 50, 60, 70% of my take-home income Right. if I did affidavit of support and child support. So right. I agreed uh, very reluctantly to this term, and it does mm, really like salt in a wound because I wanted to have a family, wanted to have the kids here, so I have legal and financial responsibility for them, but I have absolutely no right to see them ever again. Okay. And he was perfectly, and, and, and I want to inject this into the discussion. He was perfectly fine with that, correct? In fact, did he? was it his suggestion that that... that yeah, that... That was his suggestion. Yeah. So, so let's go down that rabbit hole for just a moment. When this all started, the the objective, as you indicated before, is they called you Mommy Emily, yeah. and, and yeah. he was saying we're going to have this family. Yeah. And now all of a sudden he's saying I don't want to have anything to do with you. I don't want my children to have anything to do with you. Do you think that that's possibly a true indication of his intention at, 
<laughs> at, at the time that, you know, this all started that, you know, back in the back of his mind, he's going, as soon as I get my green card, I'm just going to bail out and we're just going to sail off into the sunset and just leave Emily off on her own. Yes. And for two reasons. One, I, th I think I actually mentioned this last week that he has said to me he would do anything for his kids, which I thought, well, oh, he's a great dad. But that included defrauding me. Right. Right. Um, the second is that if you really, really love your kids, and they really love this other person, would you not give them access? That's true, because the, the, the thing that you're always hearing about in divorce cases is what's in the best interest of the children. And, yeah. under and he these... does not think about the best interest of the children. It's clear, like, time and time again, he uses them as a pawn, mm -hmm. and especially to position himself as a victim in the court of public opinion, that I did all these horrible things to him, right? Mm-hmm. And the truth is, like, I would love to still see the kids. I would even be willing to pay child support, 100%. Totally want to support them in their education and well-being. But I cannot afford to do affidavit support and child support and have some big custody battle, which the court may not even let me engage in because I'm not biologically related to them. Right. And, in fact, in, in furtherance of that, the preceding sentence to that paragraph is neither party will initiate contact with follow or stalk the other party except in order to fulfill the requirements of this document both parties shall direct their friends to leave the other party alone and to not follow or stalk either party so that pretty much closes the door on any potential visitation absolutely okay 100 percent and I'll, and I'll also note that he has harassed my friends, two of them, and um, driven up below my bedroom window shouting stuff up when he was drunk. So he's right. violated this three times already. <laughs> so All right. Moment, well, let me ask you this making, then. For... My documentation going and, like, I, I just can't seem to, you know, it's really weird because, like, I want to get rid of him, but his, his anger, I think he didn't, if things didn't go how he planned. And it's like he got robbed out of his big payment. He would tell people around town, he's going to get this big payoff. And he didn't get it. Right. So he's pissed. So um, and maybe, too, John, we talked about, um, he posts some stuff about having the green card interview, but wait, was waiting to hear. And that's usually not the best sign. Mm -hmm. So he might also be angry that uh, there are hiccups in his process, because I did previously send USCIS a copy of my annulment filing. Okay. So now we get into the meat and potatoes. Mm -hmm. The I-864 affidavit of support. Now, last week we were discussing linking the 864 in a way that it would make it a conditional I-864 for the basis of the citizen's responsibility, linking it to conditional permanent residence so that if the two-year conditional period did not work out, the U.S. citizen would not be subject to having to pay for the immigrant continuously yep. and ad infinitum. But, you know, this, this indicates... The, the, the sixth paragraph, which goes into, in fact, it's the longest paragraph <laughs> in, in the whole divorce judgment. I find it really telling that this paragraph is the longest paragraph in the entire document. It takes up an entire page. Yeah, uh, and everything else is like three or four sentences. Yeah. Right. right. This, yep. this, is, this is a seven-page document of which three of these pages are signature pages, certified copies <laughs> of being sent, you know, proof of service and all that. So of the seven, seven pages, three are absolutely have nothing to do with the, with the meat and potatoes of the divorce. So you've got four pages of which 25% of those, of those four pages, or one page, is devoted solely to the affidavit of support. That is correct. Which kind of is a clear indication of where he and his attorney and the judge might have been involved in. So 
it, it goes on, it says, you know, wife shall continue to follow the agreement that she made with, and get this, folks, they got it wrong, U.S. Customs and Immigration Services, as opposed to U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, <laughs> as a sponsor to husband and his children, as indicated on the I-864. At the end of each year, if there is a shortfall between husband's earnings versus the amount of support wife is to provide, wife shall pay husband the difference. Husband shall provide copies of all of his W-2s and or 1099 forms, with the preference of husband also providing a copy of his income tax return with the W-2s and 1099s included to wife on or before February 15th of the following year. So, I mean, I, the rest goes into this hypothetical of what happens if he doesn't report all his income and then you find out about it later, you know, and what the offset would be. And I think they got the basic intent of the offset, which is your support obligation yeah. is, is, you know, 125% of the federal income poverty guidelines for a family of three in this particular case. So whatever that dollar amount is. Twenty-eight thousand six hundred and sixty-eight. Not that I pay attention. Not that you were counting, but you counted. <laughs> so I usually just say thirty k because it's easier. But yeah. Okay. Well, you know, and that's the other thing because you know I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the federal income poverty guidelines are subject to revision every year. Yeah. Due to due to inflation, so let's for sake of the argument say thirty thousand, and yep. let's say he's honest and we'll get into that one in just a minute but let's assume for sake of this argument he is honest and he reports all his income to you and his income is thirty thousand dollars or more then at that point you don't owe him a dime okay right okay now that we've reached that point let's broach the subject of honesty you and i have been discussing this for quite a while and the evidence out there is that he is anything but honorable you've you've already indicated that he's already violated the no contact provision of this order and my question then becomes what makes a reasonable person believe he's going to honor anything else in this order if he's already violating the no contact order and right. by the way this thing was dated March 18th, 2021. Yes. And all of that happened within a month. We'll also note he violated the restraining order multiple times. We'll also note one of our key arguments, too, around the annulment is he was willing to defraud the U.S. government for a green card interview and not mm -hmm. um, uh, let them know about unauthorized work, which wouldn't have had any implications. But he, he wouldn't. He was threatening me not to uh, give that information. So is a record of fraud in numerous areas, a record of disregarding uh, judgments, a record of disregarding the law in general with DUI and things like that. So we go, yeah, is he going to be honest? And that's why I pushed hard for this offset, because if he like didn't just didn't send me a few 1099s, I overpaid him by five grand. And next year it's like, oh, hey, you, you owe me another five. It's like, no, then I owe you nothing because I overpaid last year. Right. Um, I fought for a later timing, but they just didn't want, you know, taxes are now May 15th, and then I pay in the middle of June. So this right. is the complicated uh, resolution we came up with. Well, my question to you is this, what if he doesn't turn over the W-2s into 1099s? Right, so theoretically I would have to pay him all of that. I, I would say, you know... Well, I've got practice, an alternative... I've got an. I would just refuse. <laughs> well, that was, that's where I was going to go with this. That would be oh. my <laughs> argument. I have no way, the way to know how much I owe him, and I'm not. I'm certainly not going to pay him twenty eight thousand dollars, and then you know, he never shows up with the W twos or the ten ninety nines. He wants. You should pardon the, the euphemism. He wants the full enchilada, but yeah. you know he's not willing to give you the the ingredients to make it. So, yeah, and this, this was where my plan was like, well, what if I just don't pay it? And then they file contempt of court, and then I tell them, well, but I didn't get information. And how long does it take to get 
a hearing, and by then he would have filed taxes, and I could say reasonable to see taxes now. Um, well, know, see, and that's the interesting from being. Yeah, go ahead. And that's the interesting thing about this. Let's let's walk down that legal strategy for just a moment. Keeping in mind, I'm not an attorney, even though nor I've gone to law. Uh, I'm sorry. Not follow a judgment. <laughs> Said, nor would you advise me to not follow a judgment. No, but 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 just keep in mind, you know, even though I've been to law school, I'm not a li- I'm not a licensed practicing attorney. But uh, let's walk down this avenue. Let's say he doesn't give you the W-2s. He doesn't give you the 1099s. He doesn't give you his tax returns. You have no idea of what he made. So you say, I have no basis by which to figure out how much I owe you, so therefore I'm not paying you anything. His argument's going to be, no, you have to pay me the full $28,000. So then he sues you. And next year will true up, yeah. So he sues you. What he doesn't understand and a lot of people don't understand when they make this empty threat well i'm going to sue you is that go ahead go right ahead and do that because then what happens is we have this whole thing called discovery Mm. and we go in front of the judge and i have a demand for documents which is going to be provide all your w-2s 1099s and your 1040 tax return Okay. Maybe bank account statements. And, and, and statements then you, you want the bank account statements because I want to see what money's going in and what money's going out. You know, the old French proverb, follow the money, chez chez la femme. So you're sitting there chasing this down. And then the other thing is you can depose them and put them under oath. Mm. Okay. And then if we go to a hearing and his testimony at trial is different than that of his dispositive testimony. Yeah, yeah then at that point you can you can go after his credibility. You can impeach his credibility and say, you know, you've got conflicting statements between your sworn deposition and your sworn testimony. Which way is it? So you've got that whole issue that we have to worry about. But, you know, when we were doing the pre-show interview, you said, you know, you have no contact with the kids, but yet yes. you have the privilege of paying for them. That's correct. So how do that? How does that make you feel? Oh my God, horrendous! Because I really loved them, and I knew his little boy like kind of had his withdrawal and kind of had abandonment issues, and I had worked so hard with him mm-hmm. um, to trust me and relax and have fun. And people would often say. When my ex wasn't around, the kids seemed so much more relaxed, silly, play games. Like they were like, they obviously really love you. Um, I could still be a disciplinarian, but I wasn't the disciplinarian and I never hit them. I never, you know, yelled at them or shoved food down their throats. He was, I don't think I've ever told you this. He was investigated by Child Protective Services. Okay. So, so let me ask this question that bear that really needs to be asked. Do you know whether or not he's been in contact with his so-called ex-wife in Tanzania? I don't, but she sent me a WhatsApp message, WhatsApp message recently, and I did not respond. I don't want to get engaged in any drama. Who, who um, said, wait a minute, no I don't know. Who, yeah, his, the mother. <laughs> who's, who sent you the WhatsApp? Who wife. sent you the message? The wife? The ex-wife? Yeah, the ex-wife. Okay. Yeah, just an opener. How are you doing? And I'm like, I'm not going to respond <laughs> and get sucked into it. Um, no idea about that. But if I ever do hear from somebody from Tanzania, they're like, you're doing a terrible thing. You have a responsibility. You need to pay. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I just keep blocking people. <laughs> so you've had those kind of conver- or kind of messages? Oh, Yeah. Where where people from Tanzania? Yeah, his boss, which, by the way, this is actually kind of interesting. His boss came to the United States on a K-1 visa or a spousal visa, Mm -hmm. got his green card, lived with a white woman who was older than him, Uh substantially older, said that she was too controlling, actually what my ex says about me. I was like trying to get him not drive drunk and things like that. 
She was too controlling. They got a divorce. He saved up a bunch of money, came back to Tanzania, and started her his business. Now, where do you think my ex might have gotten this idea from? His boss. <laughs> yeah. And, but that's and the when obvious. things were going down, and I thought I had supported this guy's company of helping develop trips and send him clients, um, basically for no pay, just to help out somebody that I thought was a hard worker and had a great business. And uh, when things started to go down with my ex, he would say, you know, here's one of the people he said, can't you bite your hand one more time and take him back? For the sake of the children, can't you find a way to pay him? I hope there's a way you can find that he can still stay, even if you're not together. I mean, nobody else said things like that. And on top of that, your ex-husband told you you could you could bring your quote new man into the house, and that the yes. two, that your ex-husband and you would simply proceed with the immigration paperwork, even though at that point you weren't husband and wife any longer, except in name only. That's correct, and that was the first time. You know, I had my suspicions, but when he asked me to stay in the same house, li- literally live as husband and wife, but in separate rooms. Mm-hmm. I could bring my new man. There was never a new man, but he pushed that out there that I had this new man I was dumping him for. Um, and do it for the, the two years until they got the green card. I also have a text where he says, this is too hard on the kids. Let them come and and at least give them the two years. So I have it verbally and in writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what kind of man would say within within weeks of splitting up, Hey, it's cool. I'll live with you and the new man. Let just give me the green card. Like, not somebody who's actually in love with their wife. Correct. But the answer. Right. And people will still go, well, this sounds, sounds so weird. Like, he just wanted to stay with you. How could he be defrauding you? And I'm like, the point, the point of it all is that in order for me to leave him, he had to do something violent. He knew that was my deal breaker. He did. I hit him back. But, and this is what you tell me a lot of times, the, the immigrant will try to provoke their spouse. It worked. I hit him back. I was absolutely shocked. I was so angry. I did all of this, mm-hmm. and this is what I did. Right. right. But we, the next day, neither of us had any marks or bruises. So I think he was like, oh, crap. <laughs> when I finally went to the police two, two months later, he's like, oh, this isn't going to work out with how I planned. And he showed up at the police department. At the exact same time I was there. People give me a hard time for waiting two months. Why did he wait two months? Yeah. To make a cross allegation against me to then try to do a VAWA waiver, which we'll talk about next time. Right. We'll get into VAWA next so, next week. Motivation? But... Maybe. Maybe motivation's green card. Maybe. <laughs> you think? So I mean so maybe. So getting into this, I mean to put a cap on the eight sixty four. One of the things that you and I just discussed at the pre-show discussion is that there's no date certain as to when this support obligation under the 864 is mentioned in the divorce decree. The only thing is that it's, it's, and this is just a constructive thought on my part, is that the agreement, when, when it says the wife shall continue to follow the agreement that she made with U.S. Customs and Immigration Services as a sponsor to husband and his children, as indicated on the 864, that it's going to be one of the enumerated events that terminates the 864. Now, let me give you a little glimmer of hope and ray of sunshine, if you will, yeah, because I can, can I just say when you pointed that out to me, I was bummed. I was like, oh, we should have put an yep. end date. Because, mm-hmm. oh, you know, if we just put seven years from now because we were married seven months, divorce took two years. Right. I'd only have seven years left. Well, here's. But here's then I got to go back to the whole Social yeah. Security quarters thing. Right. So the, the thought that has entered my mind is that I have always considered this very real possibility that your ex-husband will eventually, and this is the reason why I asked if you, if, if he's been in contact with his so-called ex-wife in Tanzania, is that I'm of the opinion that once everything settles down 
and he gets the requisite amount of time under his belt, which will be three years, by the way, uh, as a permanent resident to include any period of conditional permanent residence, that he can apply for U.S. citizenship for himself and his children. Okay? And once he becomes a U.S. citizen, then that terminates your obligation under the 864 affidavit of support. Okay, it's one of the enumerated termination events. And then my belief is what he's going to do is go back to Tanzania, marry his ex-wife, the mother of his children, and then petition for her to come to the United States as his immigrant spouse. And it, mm-hmm. goes, and it goes full circle. So we have all these possible scenarios going on. And then the last paragraph of the divorce decree says, wife shall not be required to help with husband's efforts to obtain his citizenship. Segues right into it. Now, that paragraph, to include the second sentence, However, wife shall not take any affirmative action that would harm, hinder, or hamper husband in his immigration efforts. Was that was yep. that was suggested or written by, or insisted on, by your ex-husband, by, by his ex-husband yep. and his attorney. The glimmer of hope. The light at the end of the tunnel, if you will, is hopefully he has every intention of becoming a citizen as quickly as possible, so therefore he can bring his ex-wife back over here. At which case, once he... I am more skeptical. I think that would be great, <laughs> obviously. Um, um, I also think it would be great if he's struggling getting the permanent green card as... I think he should. Well, I think what's more likely to happen is that he does get the permanent green card. He continues to try to milk me for as much as possible. He's great at hustling on the side and getting jobs and making money under the table. Mm-hmm. Save as much money as he can. Mm-hmm. And then once it looks like that's going to term uh, out, then he'll bring her over. Because well, they have staying power. They have staying power. If it's like seven years and then we can live the dream in the promised land, Yeah, I think that's what And that's one of the things, I'm glad you brought that up, because that's one of the things that we as Americans don't understand. We look at things because we want instant gratification. We don't look at the strategic, the long-term picture, the big picture. Yeah. People from other countries will sit here and go, okay, it's going to take me 5, 10, 15 years to get to the United States. But it's I'm worth... Do, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It's mm-hmm. worth the wait. We don't have the patience. They do. So with this in mind, I'm, I'm thinking he could become a citizen and not tell you. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's, that's definitely a possibility. So here's... How would I know? Well, glad you asked that question. <laughs> if if let's assume he's let's let's take it to its ultimate conclusion. He doesn't give you two W twos. He doesn't give you ten ninety nines. He doesn't give you your income tax returns, and we're talking about or his tax returns, and we're talking about when did you get married? December first, twenty eighteen. All right. And he got his conditional permanent residence. When did he get it? Uh, April 9th, 2019. All right. So on April 9th, 2022, a year from now, he could conceivably file an N-400. Now, he's not going to tell you he filed an N-400. He'll just file it become a citizen, and let's assume, again, he doesn't pay, he doesn't pay, he doesn't give you the 1099s, the W-2s, and then he says, I want you to pay me, and you don't pay him, and he sues you. 
We're back to discovery. We're back for a demand of documents. We're back to interrogatories, which are the questions, the written questions you send him saying, I want you to answer these questions. And one of the questions you ask is, have you filed Form N-400 application for citizenship for naturalization for you and or your children? Yes or no? If the answer to that question is yes, when did you file it? If the answer to that question is I filed it on such and such a date, what is the status of that application? Now, mm-hmm. you can bet your bottom dollar that he's going to resist answering those questions and he may, as far as we know, flat out lie on it, okay? And then there's a way to find out. Since you okay. are the obligor on the 864 affidavit of support, you're the obligated party. I would argue that you have every right to file a Freedom of Information Act request with USCIS saying, I am the obligor on the H-64 affidavit of support. The alien that I sponsored and his children no longer live with me. We are divorced. However, I am inquiring as to whether or not I am still legally obligated under the affidavit of support. See, that's the other thing that they don't do. USCIS doesn't, as far as I know. And if somebody is listening to this show and knows differently, please, by all means, let me know. But my understanding is they're not going to tell you that your ex-husband naturalized. And therefore, you're not obligated under the H-64 affidavit of support. You know, like when you buy a car and you finance it and the title goes to the finance company or to the bank and they hold the title until you finish paying off the car and then they send you the title saying you're you're done. That should be the same thing with the H-64. They should sit there and tell you your obligation under the H-64 no longer exists because one of the terminating events occurred. Yeah. But they don't do that. And that's yeah, that a, seems kind of crazy. Because unless I had you, how would I know to file a Freedom of Information Act to figure that out? How would I know about this N-400 to ask about? Right. It's such a quagmire. And no, again, we talk about immigration attorneys. No immigration attorney is going to give me that kind of advice. No. But why, why would they do that? Because what would happen is you're going to kill the goose who's laying the golden eggs. I mean, as you said, he's in it for the money. So why would he want to tell you, yeah, by the way, you're no longer, le- you're no longer, excuse me, I'm having tongue-tying issues. <laughs> you're no longer obligated under the 864 because I naturalized. So. Yeah, I'm actually taking notes right now. <laughs> good, you should be. So getting back to, getting back to paragraph seven. However, wife shall not take any affirmative actions that would harm, hinder, or hamper husband in his immigration efforts. Nice try, guys. Uh, Unfortunately for your ex-husband, his attorney, and his honor, there is a legal impediment to that paragraph, and it's the 18, Title 18, United States Code, Section 4, misprision of a felony, which states... Whoever having knowledge of the actual commission of a felony cognizable by a court of the United States conceals and does not as soon as possible make known the same to some judge or other person in civil or military authority under the United States shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than three years or both. So... We have every reason to believe he engaged in false statements, which is a criminal violation and a felony under 18 U.S.C. 1001, engaged in visa fraud in violation of 18 U.S.C. 1546, which is also a felony, and marriage fraud, which is cognizable under Title VIII of the United States Code, Section 1325C, again, a felony. So if you fail to repeat, report to USCIS, this is what happened. 
conceivably, and I'm not going to give you odds as to whether or not it had happened, but technically you could theoretically be charged with misprision of a felony. Now, whether or not that would happen, I don't know, but that particular... Yeah, but it sounds a lot scarier. It sounds much scarier than the enforcement of this judgment. Like, what, what, would, they, what would they do? <laughs> right? Yep. So I appreciate that it doesn't make any sense. I, I had already sent in the annulment filing, which, by the way, who do you send it to? Like, I found a few addresses. Mm-hmm. I just sent them in. There's no, there's no address for, like, if you want to give additional information when they're filing the 751 waiver of, you know, the marriage contingency. If they're filing the VAWA waiver, any other waiver, there's no address well, to which a sponsor has access to, to send this in. Or at least I just picked several. Like, I'm going to send it to all of them. Yeah. Well, what you would do is you would send it to the same place you sent the 751 originally or where you would send the 751 because the presumption is that what he's... Yeah, where would you send the 751? uh, It should be on the 751 application itself. And, you know... I never looked. Okay. okay, there, There should be a where to mail this, where to send this to. And I believe it's the National Benefits Center, if I'm not mistaken. Um, okay. But I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. So next week when we come back, and by the way, we've been at this for almost 36 minutes. Um, <laughs> time flies, as they say. Yeah. Um, I would suggest you send it to the National Benefits Center and say, you know, the, I'm assuming my, my ex-spouse, because now you need, now you need to... <laughs> This is the way you would do it. You have a legal obligation yeah. under the 864 to notify USCIS that you are no longer living together and that he is no lo- longer living with you. So therefore, they need to understand that. He also has a legal obligation under immigration law to notify USCIS where he's living. That's part of what yeah. they call, quote, alien registration, unquote. Okay. So you would be perfectly within your rights to do so, to notify them because you have a legal obligation that's specified in the 864 under the instructions that goes with the 864. And it says, you know, if you no longer live together and they've left, you have to notify USCIS of what's going on. I would also send them a copy of the divorce judgment. And at that point... You know, I'm going to you're going to say I am not filing. Obviously, we're not filing a joint. 751. So he's probably filing a 751. Okay, Claiming not abuse, but that the marriage has already ended in divorce or annulment through no fault yeah. of his own, okay? Um, but I would do it myself as well if I were you, where I would send them and say, I'm not, send it to him and say, I'm not sending in a 751 with him. We're no longer married. And oh, by the way, he's yeah. not living here. So therefore, you know, that's that's the issue for the 864. Now, time will tell whether he's going to turn over his W-2s, his 1099s. And then there is the scorched earth policy. What is that? If he doesn't send you W-2s or 1099s and said he hasn't worked, I don't know about you, but if it was me, I would contact the Internal Revenue Service, and whatever agency handles Washington State, or it's it's Oregon, excuse me. Yeah, Oregon, it's okay. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, Whatever state agency handles, you know, Department of Revenue for the state of Oregon, and say, you know, here's this guy's name, here's his Social Security number. He's claiming he hasn't worked. I haven't paid him any support. And, you know, I'm curious as to how he's managing to live. 
And the question becomes whether or not he's on public assistance, because then that's going to impact. And this is the other thing that's not in your divorce decree. What happens? And I just thought of this, just so that you know. I mean, I haven't, mm-hmm. I haven't really digested all of it until just now. Let's assume, for sake of this argument, he turns around and goes on some means-tested public assistance. He goes on Medicaid. He goes on SNAP. He gets in Section 8 housing. He does the whole penumbra of taxpayer-funded you know, social services. And then he goes into court and says, you have, a, you have a need to support me. You have an obligation to support me. And at the same time, the government's coming at you and saying, we need you to reimburse us for all the public assistance, he said. Mm-hmm. Now, my argument would be that your public assistance that you're getting alleviates my obligation to pay you. All I got to do is pay the government. Because otherwise, it's called unjust enrichment. And, you know, you're double dipping. And that's a potential that could possibly happen. So it's going to be interesting, you and I, to sit back and watch and see how this all unfolds in the, in the months to come. How he's going to do it. Because I'm assuming you have not paid him any other than his attorney's fees, which you have to pay. But you haven't paid him any support. Yes. Say that again. That's right. I refinanced my house and had a lien against my house and paid off his attorney's fees, which are in the multiple tens of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, I did agree to do that, and I also felt that his attorney was very highly motivated in getting this settlement mm-hmm. and encouraging my ex to take some of these terms so that he would actually get his attorney's fees paid. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, one of the reasons why I feel okay with this certainly for the moment is that he was asking for $93,000 in cash in addition to the support and the judge that we had is known as a wild card mm-hmm. so either I could have gotten annulment I-64 waive is no rights to any of my marital or premarital assets which that's actually something we should talk about um, in the context of fraud and annulment mm-hmm um, and because, or he could have gone all the way to divorce, full property division, he makes less money, give him 93 grand, which I would have to sell multiple things, like move into apartment, mm-hmm. uh, get rid of my other retirement accounts, but unfortunately I liquidated the ones that were premarital. <laughs> okay. So because he, um, and Yeah, and basically that would be like the worst case scenario. So this is somewhere in the middle. And what I really liked about it is um, paying the attorney fees gave the attorney motivation to close this deal. He didn't actually get a single dime from me. I gave him my car, by the way. Here's a nice 2013 Nissan Rogue all-wheel drive for your troubles. Mm -hmm. But please just go away and do your own thing. But he didn't actually get a dime. And what that did was I saw how much income he made in 2020. It was much more than I expected, even with all the work under the table. Like I saw pictures of him working in a marijuana grow farm. They all pay cash. That wasn't reported, right? And he still made pretty darn close to that 28668 So I knew that if he got any portion of the 93 grand he was asking for, even if the judge was like, eh, give him 10 Mm-hmm. He would live off of that and milk it. Mm-hmm. But now he has to work through 2021. He has to stand on his own two feet. He will have to do the same thing of like really diversifying his income and hustling and getting paid in cash. But he has to make some effort because he can't go another year with, with no assistance at all. And I believe he thinks that um, going on any kind of public benefit is supposed to hurt your ability to get the permanent green card, especially if we're not together. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my understanding as well, but I don't know the details of that. Um, I'll also add that I'm pretty sure he is in Section 8 housing and has um, extremely low rent right now. So that's a real possibility that the government could also come after me. Mm-hmm. And that's a concern you should have because that uh, it, it's it's – that's what I'm concerned about is that he comes and says, you owe me 28000 a change. And the government says, you owe us for the Section 8 housing. And you're going, wait a minute, hold it. Do you offset what you have to pay the government 
as to what you have to pay him. And, you know, this is all new litigation areas because it hasn't been litigated that far. It's never gotten to that point where, at least as far as I know, where a immigrant turns around and not only sues the U.S. citizen for support, but at the same time, contemporaneously to the lawsuit, is receiving the whole laundry list of public finance, public assistance. So therefore, he's in effect double dipping. You know, it's like yeah. so, it's like somebody collecting unemployment insurance and at the same time working under the table. It's yeah. the, it's the same thing, and you know, if, if he's been involved in marriage fraud and visa fraud. A reasonable person would conclude this would not be a quantum leap for him to be engaged in some sort of financial fraud as well. So you and I are going to have to keep an eye on this uh, to make sure that if he does yep. that, and hopefully what happens is that he outsmarts himself and figures, I'm going to get all this money, and then somebody goes after him legally, whether it be the state, the feds, or you, and exposes the fraud for what it is. And that's and that's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. So you have not paid him anything under the affidavit of support yet, correct? That is correct, because I did not owe him anything for 2019 or 2020. All right. So when are you going to have to pay him for the affidavit of support? Is it this year or next year? Next year, we'd be looking at February 15th, paying by March 15th of 2022, looking back at 2021. That's going to be interesting. Because the question's going to be... How I think do... it gives a lot of time for him to get another DUI and get to felony level. <laughs> there, there's, all sorts of, there's all sorts of things that can happen. But I, I think at this point, um, we need to sit back and watch and see what he does. And, and, you know, for those who are listening, this gives you an idea as to the depth and the breadth of the fraudulent conduct that non-U.S. citizens will engage in uh, to get what they want. And, it, and the sophistication, the sophistication, he's always been three steps ahead of me. How does a guy with a high school education from a small village in Africa know how all this works with whales before I do? Well, part of it came from the U.S. government, from both the Department of State and U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, because they gave him all the information about the Violence Against Women Act provisions uh, pursuant to the International Marriage Broker Regulatory Act, or IMBRA, of 2005. So they get printed material from the State Department and USCIS when they get their K-1 visa. And part of it is resource material, specifically the 1-800 number to the National Domestic Violence Hotline and other pro bono domestic violence organizations throughout the country that they can seek help from. And all those agencies all have in-house immigration people. And it's all funded by the Office of Violence Against Women from the Department of Justice and the Department of Health and Human Services. So, in effect, they're getting all their... Immig- there's, there's two other ways, too, yeah. right? Because the Tanzanian network of guides, most of whom have married Western women, mm-hmm. and his ex-boss that did the same exact thing in the States. And then... The attorneys, immigration mm-hmm. attorneys, other attorneys, those that work the system to support the immigrant mm-hmm. in defrauding the U.S. citizen. So, yeah, I, you know, and I think so far you've been very fortunate that you haven't had the Violence Against Women Act provisions thrown at you. It's, it's bad enough yeah. that, that you've been defrauded and now you're getting to pay for the privilege of being defrauded. Um, but just imagine, and we're, we're segueing in and teeing up for next week. Um, it's bad enough to go through that, but then to add the insult to the injury is that you're, you're now facing restraining orders, criminal charges, and now you've got to run out and get an attorney to defend yourself on criminal charges. And it just keeps on going. And 
this is the severity of this issue that nobody in, in positions of authority in this country seem to give a damn about. They, they, they just blow it off as if to say, well, you know, this poor immigrant has come from a third world country and therefore lacks the sophistication that you yourself just said he has. And, and I think yep. that's part of the issue. So we could keep going. <laughs> as always as always so we're coming up on 50 minutes i would say this would be a good place to stop for this week and next week boys and girls we're going to start down the avenue of the violence against women act and have i got a case for you and i want your opinion emily when i lay out the facts okay. All right, because it's outrageous. It absolutely is outrageous. But it's 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 a little it's a bit of a technical wonky kind of thing. We're going to have to get into the meat and potatoes of certain various parts of the immigration law. But I'm going to try and keep it as simple as as possible. Um, otherwise, we're going to lose. All good because I've been geeking out on that technical stuff. So hopefully. Uh... People will enjoy our passion for it next week. <laughs> okay. So until next week, uh, you have a good week, and we'll be talking next Sunday. Sounds good. All right. Next week, we'll continue with Emily and what her suggestions are and what she and I have come up with on how to fix the Violence Against Women Act provisions of the immigration law. We're going to go over a rather troubling case where an immigrant managed to get her green card using VAWA, even though she was totally unqualified for it, and the fact that USCIS knew all about this, and yet they still approved her. You won't want to miss this episode. But in the meantime, please send me your comments to CSI Investigations at NetEason, that's N-E-T-E-C-I-N dot net, or log on to Facebook and go to my Facebook page at John Sampson. The address for that is facebook.com forward slash john.csi and leave me a messenger message. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm your host, John Sampson. See you next week.